Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Today we are going to be in the final of our uh, unwrapping Christmas messages. It's been the last several weeks that we've been doing that. Um, And I want to remind you, or if you haven't been with us, to tell you that where we've been is John chapter 1. There are four gospel accounts, meaning four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is going to come last. He's going to give a unique perspective on why he's writing the gospel that bears his name. John chapter 20, verse 31, John says this, a lot of things could be said about Jesus. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he says. But these things I have written down that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. And the very first chapter of John is gonna become so foundational, so important, so critical to the case that John is making because it's here that he begins to establish who Jesus is and how Jesus came to be among us. I want to illustrate for you what I believe John is doing in demonstrating who came and lived among us in the person of Jesus. He says in the first few verses, he says he's the eternal God, the one who was in the beginning creating, in Genesis 1, creating the world. He says, but he also then is the incarnate word. In other words, he stepped out of heaven to become the logos, the embodiment of God in human form, not ceasing to be God, but giving up all the privileges and the prerogatives of the Godhead to become the incarnate or the embodied word. And he says, but that's not all. He became the rejected Messiah that Isaiah predicted, one who would be despised and rejected with no majesty, nothing in his appearance that we should be drawn to him. And what John's going to do today is show us the final descent of Jesus coming from heaven, fully God, to become our Messiah. He's going to do that through a dialogue that takes place between another John, we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, and some religious people that were sent by the leaders of Jerusalem. And here John will further prove that Jesus is the culminating figure in the story of God redeeming his people. Now let me make a a brief confession before I read the passage. I spoke with William earlier this week and talked about, I said, you know, it's it's been tough in some of these messages in John chapter one to get to like the the application point, right? Because John's like, I mean, what do you do with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him. And you're like, but what does that have to do with my marriage or my finances or my parenting or whatever it is? And I do hope that most often when you come to Horizon West Church on a Sunday morning, there's something really clear and tangible that you can put into practice and go, man, that's going to make me a better friend, a better spouse, a better parent, a better child, whatever it is. But I'm also okay if every once in a while we just look at the Word of God and we come away going, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I know you're big. And and, and that we develop a hunger for scripture such that we go, man, the things I'm learning on Sunday mornings, I want to know more about it. I don't want to wait once a week to have a pastor preach the word over me, but I want to go and devour scripture on my own. I can tell you, William can tell you, Marcio can tell you, and others that so much of the beginning of our journey and continuing today 
has been the word of God coming into our minds and then fleshing itself into our lives. It is not just for clergy to do that, but it is for all of us. Let me read John chapter 1, and you can follow along with me. John 1, verses 19 to 29. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah predicted. Now these had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if, if you're not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophets? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many of you know who Eric Clapton is? That was the world's weirdest transition and I did that on purpose. You're like, where did that come from, right? Eric, you're going to see in a second. How many of you know Eric Clapton, the fifth Beatle, sometimes called, considered one of the greatest guitarists in the world? The story goes that Eric Clapton was once asked, who is the greatest guitarist in the world? We're going to show a picture for those who don't know. This on the right, I'm told, is Eric Clapton. I think it looks like Bill Gates, but nonetheless, they're saying that it's Eric Clapton. We all age. I'm turning 40 next month. So, and that Eric Clapton's response to how does it feel to be the greatest guitarist in the world, Eric Clapton said, I don't know, ask Prince. Spoiler alert, that never happened. Okay, this is a legend. Sometimes Jimi Hendrix is in it, talking about Phil Keggy or whatever. But the point is, it's pretty interesting when someone that you esteem as the greatest in their field goes, actually, there's somebody else. Uh, maybe a more modern uh, for our younger folks who don't know who these guys are. Imagine Michael Jordan being asked, what is it like to be the greatest basketball player in the world? And he says, I don't know, ask LeBron. Oh, I knew that would get a response. I'm not going there. I'm just saying. We laugh because we go, of course, they wouldn't do that. Because people in our world, when they're considered the greatest, they say, give me a little more of that. They're not going to deflect it. And yet that's exactly what John does. They keep coming. Man, aren't you the Christ? I mean, remember, John is coming. He's the cousin of Jesus. But Jesus is kind of like soft-spoken and John is like prophetic. Jesus is somewhat humble and unimpressive and John is like radical and bold and the people were not looking for a Messiah like Jesus they were looking for a Messiah like his cousin John and John says no I'm not him no 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 no, I'm really not him no I am not the Christ deflecting to the one whom he had come to foreshadow I love the clarity in John's response when he's asked point blank what do you say about yourself on Wednesday of this week, our team, um, every Wednesday actually, we get to um, be part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here at Horizon High School. We meet on the second floor. What we have is our kids' area on Sundays. Those are school, uh, school classrooms, right? And so on the second floor over there, we get to gather with 25, 30. Uh, this past Wednesday, there's over 40 students doing a Christmas party. And, and we had some kind of conversation at the tables. And one of the questions was just a real basic, who are you? What, what, what do you say about yourself? 
And imagine with me ninth and 10th graders mostly going, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know, uh, you know, all the stuff. And then one of them goes, well, I'm a football player. And one of them goes, I'm a runner. And one of them goes, I'm an influencer. And the others go, you're not an influencer. And they got that. But, but who are you? Now, let me ask you the question. If someone was to ask you point blank, who are you? It's not just high schoolers that struggle to answer that. When I go, well, well I'm, like I might answer, I'm, I'm Nikki's husband. That's, that's who I am. Or, or I'm David and Pam Ogden's son. Or I'm Jonah's dad. Or you could answer it not only relationally, you might answer vocationally. You go, I'm the CEO, CEO of, of X company or the CFO or the COO. You might be a computer programmer, an architect, a cashier, a teacher. So people say, hey, who are you? And you go, this is who I am. This is what defines me. Don't miss this. John was asked point blank, John, who are you? And he said, I'll tell you who I am. And he answers in terms of the call of God in his life and the kingdom work that God called him to do. You're going to see my buddy Chris again in just a minute, but, but Chris has served as the CEO of Vermeer Southeast for a lot of years, and Chris came to an understanding kind of in the middle of that journey, oh, time out, hold on. I'm not just here to, to build profits and to, to sign paychecks. I'm here for the glory of God. I'm here to shine the, the good news of the gospel in such a way that other people are drawn to Jesus. Friends, this is the reason Horizon West Church exists. We don't exist to do Sunday morning programs and events and take care of your kids for an hour on a Sunday. Like We exist to make the glory of Jesus known. We exist to lead people to saving faith in Jesus. It's also the reason John wrote the gospel that bears his name. Recall what he said. He said, I, I've written these things so that you may, what, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. And by the way, it's also the reason that John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, existed and lived. He said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Nothing else that John the Baptist did or said more clearly articulates the reason he came than that. He came to point the way to Jesus. And can I tell you, you have the same purpose and the same mission. When I was younger uh, in my pastoral journey, I had been ordained for ministry. I sometimes look back and I think, man, I don't know that I would have ordained me then, but they did it and here we are. And, and I, I remember going, God, what, what, what is it? I was like a student pastor, but maybe I want to be a church planter or you know, do I want to have a family? I might get married. Like, like, who am I? And I sat with an open piece of paper and a, and a pen and I wrote these words. I exist to cooperate with the Spirit of God in leading myself and others closer to the heart of Jesus. I exist to cooperate with the Spirit of God in leading myself, that's the hard part, <laughs> leading myself and others closer to the heart of Jesus. So I don't just do that on Sunday mornings for 30 minutes in two services, I do that with my children. I'm trying to lead my children closer to the heart of Jesus. I do that in my marriage. I'm a, I want my wife to be closer to the heart of Jesus. I do that in my friendships and my interactions. I don't just show up at the gym. I don't just go to the event. I want everywhere I go to be about pointing people to Jesus. I would encourage you, and this is such a great time of the year to do it. In about 10 days, 11 days, you're going to start writing uh, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions or, or choosing your word for the year, something to give you clarity for 2022. And I want to encourage you, before you get to that step, 
would you first write a mission statement for your life? Because listen, if you don't know Jesus, you've missed the reason that you exist. You've missed the reason that God put breath in your lungs. You're not just to be an architect, a cashier, a banker. You exist to point people to the person of Jesus. So those who come to question John then have a second question. Well, John, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the Christ, then why do you baptize? And John almost dismissively says, I baptize with water. (laughs) The point I think that John is making is water is natural. Water is of the earth, and I am a man of the earth. But someone else is coming who's not of this earth. Someone is coming who's going to baptize you with more than water, but with the Spirit of God. He's going to immerse you in the Spirit of God through faith. I'm just baptizing with water. At this point, John's actually going to accentuate with the very next words. He's going to say in verse 26, but among you stands one you do not know. Can I let that statement just ring in our ears for a second? Among you, Horizon West Church, among you stands one. The question is, do you know him? It's one thing to sing about him. It's one thing to read about him. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that his, the importance of his coming in a manger at Christmas is only relevant because he keeps coming again and again to lost people and bringing them to life through faith? That's why it matters. And if this hits you in a kind of way where you go, man, is that true of me? Yeah, I come to church and I do this, but, but is it true that among us is one that I don't know? It's the reason that we've come. John 1.29 again says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here, John, the gospel writer, is going to reveal the final step in the descent of Jesus. Remember with me, he paints Jesus as the eternal God who is in the beginning. And that eternal God became the incarnate or the embodied word, logos, word made flesh, what William spoke to us about last week. But he went even further down. He became a rejected Messiah, one that the earth did not want, the earth earth was not worthy of. But he didn't even stop at rejection. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You go, what is this metaphor? What does this mean, he became the Lamb? It does not mean that in addition to Jesus being fully God and fully man, that he was fully like an animal. Like, that's not what John's saying. He's drawing on imagery and stories and language of the Old Testament. Because when a first century Jewish person heard this, the Lamb of God who takes away sin, they would have thought of something else. And what they would have thought of was the story of Exodus. The, the, the greatest moment, think, think the, the Revolutionary War in America or something. I mean, this is the greatest moment in Israel's history when they had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years and Moses the Deliverer came and delivered them into freedom. And there were a whole bunch of incredible moments. There there was the the burning bush where God shows up. Moses says, who are you? And he says, Yahweh, I am. The name of God spoken for the first time on the earth. There was the moment when Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. There was the, the plagues that rained down on Egypt and demonstrated God's power. And then one of the coolest miracles of all, when the Red Sea just literally parts in two and the people go walking through on dry land. And you would think, man, if I was the people of Israel, I would choose to, to really remember all of those moments. And they do, but there's one part of the Exodus story 
that rises head and shoulders above the rest. And it's when they remember the moment that they applied the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. And because of the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passed over their houses. You know why? Because as cool as it is to see a Red Sea part, as powerful as it is to see the leader of the known world stood down, there's nothing quite like being saved from death. And every year, the high point of the Jewish festivals is Passover. When they remember that a lamb died, its blood was shed to save them. And John's going to say, look, the lamb of God who takes away not just the sins of Israel, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can we be really honest and transparent about something? We, we don't really do well with the idea of a lamb. Culturally, any of you ever like petted a lamb, maybe at a petting zoo or something, right? Like you make sure to wash your hands afterward because they're really dirty animals. Like th- th- there's almost nothing we think less of than sheep. In fact, in 2020, sheep became a way to insult people, right? Like you see people going, oh, I'm not a sheep, you know. I'm, I'm... I-, I actually saw a meme I thought was, was interesting. It said, sheep is an interesting insult for Christians to use. <laughs> And insults are a strange thing for Christians to use, <laughs> right? Like, we, we, we use that term like, oh, if you're a sheep, then you're like weak, you're powerless, you're a follower. Last week, we were at the New Orleans Zoo, and this is just, I'm not going to charge you for this advice, but when you go to New Orleans, go to the zoo, skip the aquarium. Okay, everybody with me? No good on the aquarium, go to the zoo. We're at the zoo, and we spent an, a ridiculous amount of time watching orangutans, which were awesome. I mean, what a cool, crazy animal those are. But you know what my favorite part of the zoo was? And I just stood there, and my kids wanted to move on, so we had to leave. But, like, I could have stood and watched this thing for an hour. It didn't move. But I was mesmerized watching a lion sitting on top of a rock just with strength and majesty and power. And it was like, man... It knew nothing could top that. Like nothing could come against it. Like it was so in control. And we love imagery of of power and might and strength. And it is true that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation tells us that. So when we sing the lion and the lamb, we're saying something true about what Jesus is like. He's strong like a lion. And yet, did you know that there are only two places in the Bible where Jesus is called a lion? And there are 19 times he's called the lamb. In fact, most of those references to Jesus as the lamb of God come in the book of Revelation. And if your wheels are turning, this is what it should tell you. Revelation is the culminating point in human history where Jesus is in his fully exalted state as king of kings and lord of lords. And John says yes, and at the center of the throne was the lamb. How very interesting that is. Because that's not how we think about the way to attain power. Let me make two observations in closing. And let me tell you this, we're going to in just a moment take what we call the Lord's Supper. Some call it Eucharist or communion. Um, If you did not get the elements for that, I want you to just slip up your hand for a second. We've got some ushers that can get those to you, but we don't want to skip anybody that wants to participate in the Lord's Supper. We've got one here. Um, so, so just kind of hold that thought for a minute. Let me make two observations in closing. Jesus coming as the Lamb of God clearly reveals 
something that is so important for us to hear at the conclusion of 2021 as we roll into 2022. The coming of Jesus as the Lamb of God clearly reveals that in God's kingdom, victory and conquest come not through demonstrations of power, but of weakness. And I need us as a church to really grab onto this. Because you're going to be told and you could become convinced that the way that Christians gain power is by taking to the streets and by, by rioting and, and by getting political power and becoming the moral majority. And once we get control, things will be good. And the kingdom of God and the word of God and the lamb of God teach us that power in his kingdom comes through sacrifice. It's the meek that inherit the earth. Secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, it teaches us that the blood of, without the blood of Jesus, there is no victory over sin. There is no victory over death, and there is no victory over hell. We believe something that's somewhat unpopular, even in a growing number of churches. And that belief is that people are not naturally reconciled to God. Something, something happened to break the relationship between man and God. The Bible calls it sin. It's really just the word hamartia is the Greek word. It just means we missed the mark. Maybe you did the best you could, but you missed the mark. And you go, man, well, well you're telling me that I'm, y- y- yes, the Bible says that we are unreconciled from God. In fact, that we are even enemies of God and that the blood of Jesus is the bridge that brings us back into relationship with God. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And here's the really good news. You know what goes out of the world when sin goes? Death, disease, failed marriages, depression, anxiety, even hell itself. Jesus came as a lamb who would conquer. And we wanna invite you to trust in him this Christmas season. In just a second, I'm going to ask Chris to come back up and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let me give us just a little bit of context for this. Um, I think, Chris, this is the first Sunday that I've given that uh, away to someone. And I want to tell you why I've asked Chris to do that. I'm not going to spoil the story because he tells it better than I do. But Chris shared with me just an anecdote from his life and an interaction with his, one of his children that caused him to think about the Lord's Supper or the communion in a whole new way. And as soon as he told me, I said, Chris, you need to share that with our church. You need to lead us through the Lord's Supper with that in mind. And so, Chris, would you come and lead us in the Lord's Supper? So, yeah, I learned something about communion this year. But in order to talk about that, I first have to go back a few years, 13 years to be exact. This same time of year, 2008, my little girl at the time was nine years old. Her name's Grayson. She was supposed to sing on Christmas Eve at First Baptist Church Orlando for their Christmas Eve service, but she wasn't feeling very well. Um, ended up at the doctor's and then eventually at the hospital on Christmas Eve. And uh, that's where they told us that a virus had attacked her heart and that she was dying. That night they put her on full life support. And the next morning, Christmas Day, I'll never forget it because we walked into that hospital room, seeing our little girl on full life support. And the doctor said, there's nothing we can do for her. You need to be praying for a miracle. 
But at that time, the worst possible time that I can remember in my life, the, the, the worst day of my life, there was a, a peace. My wife and I talked about it. There was peace. And you know why there was peace? Because Jesus died for her. And since she believed that and had accepted that, we knew that she would be in God's hands. And if he wanted to keep her in heaven, though that's not what we wanted, it would be okay. Well, we prayed for that miracle. And to make a real long story short, she ended up getting put on an artificial machine that was not approved by the FDA. It was an experimental thing. And she was up at the University of Florida for, for almost five months and um, received a heart transplant. She's an unbelievable miracle. And that brings me to what I learned this year. She's 22. On June 5, she got married. And I got to tell you, one of the things her mom and I prayed for when we didn't know she'd live one more day was that she would one day have a wedding day. And if you look real close, that's me. She asked me to officiate her wedding, and I thought, how in the world am I going to get through that? You know, how can I give this child away? But I realized I'd already given her away once before. But yet, I had to get through this wedding. So, you know, I got through the telling her story without choking up. I got through the vows. I got through the ring exchange. I even got through the asking this young man to kiss my daughter. <laughs> but they did something really special on their wedding. I, I loved it. They wanted their first thing they did as a married couple to be to take communion. And as they went over to, to do that, I began to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, which is the communion story. And when I got to the part about Christ's body being given for us, I stopped and I remembered that he died for her. He died for my daughter that I was marrying. And I tried to go on, and then I literally saw Jesus on the cross in my mind saying, I died for you. And I'm like, Lord, thank you, but can you help get me through this wedding? I wasn't getting choked up because it was my daughter's wedding. I was getting choked up for the very reason why we should all get choked up when we think about communion. Jesus died for us. So I'm going to try this again. Um, if you've got your communion, go ahead and get it ready. Uh, last time we had communion, I couldn't figure out how to get to the bread, so I, I missed it. But um, <laughs> I, I learned that you, if you open it first, you're good. So uh, I won't charge for that either, just like Chris's zoo stuff. But. All right, here we go. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread, eat, remember and believe that the body of Christ was broken for the complete remission of our sins. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. Take the cup. The blood of the lamb was shed for us. And because of the blood of the lamb, we have life and we have it abundantly. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This isn't just a ritual. This isn't just a religious thing. This is the most important thing that ever happened. Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you. Whether it's your worst day or your best day or any day in between, we're to remember that. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.